Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Kim Keller. Hello, this is Kim Keller, and I'm the host today of the podcast One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. We're joined today uh, by Lindy Bauer, and also we have Lisa Sowards, whom I know very well, but just that moment hit me in the head that I saw. Oh my goodness, I forgot Lisa's last name. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. Today we're going to talk about uh, a general conference talk called Sustainable Societies. It was given by Elder D. Todd Christofferson in October 2020, which is kind of interesting because by the time this podcast hits, he will have given another talk in the April 2021 general conference but we're going to talk about sustainable societies tonight it was a i found it to be a, a very compelling talk and unlike many talks that have stories to go with them this just went right into a lot of meat for for the whole time did you notice that too Lindy? Mm-hmm. i did i did Lisa, what were your kind of first impressions of the talk by Elder Christofferson? I thought I thought it was very intellectually put together. Yeah. Um, it made you really think about um, the different parts of society, how it's made up, what what it takes to do that, and I, I just I I felt it was pretty intriguing myself. Yeah, yeah. he started off um, talking about this, uh, uh, what he called United Nations. Uh, 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Um, and I just wonder if you use that as kind of a kicking off point to talk about what he thought was more important, which is a sustainable society. Uh, what do you think the difference and, and why, what's the difference between a sustainable development of the world versus sustainable societies in the world? Lisa, what are your thoughts? So I actually went on and read what the UN said, and it's really more of a blueprint. It's just, you know, this is how we're going to do it. This is what it might look like. These are some goals that we have, but there, um, there really wasn't a way that the, the UN told you how to do it. And it just, you know, these are our ideals, but a sustainable society would have ideals. It would have a process. It would have a a way to do it and a group of people to do it. And so I think um, the big difference is that one is just more of a blueprint and the other maybe is a little bit more on the the workings of how. Yeah. And maybe even kind of a vision, right? In other words, say, this is where we're going. What are some of your thoughts, Lindy? I think one of my thoughts was too. I love I love what you just said, Lisa. Um, and you, you can't have a sustainable a sus- that's a tricky word a sustainable um, developed society without having a. Oh, I'm mixing them up. We help me out. Yes, sustainable development. Yes. Versus sustainable society. Right. I think if you have a sustainable society, that will naturally lead to sustainable development. But you got to start with the heart and soul rather than the blueprint, right? Yes, the heart and soul is where it, where it all, that's where it lies. Yeah, and I, I think what he tried to do to that point is he is he's trying to say, all right, here is the fundamental of what a sustainable society is. And we can talk about how to get there through, through man-made development ideas, but we really need to go back to what's the bedrock of what it actually would be. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you, you got out of that too? Yep, yep. Yeah. And I did notice that he, it, they, they were all physical ideas. There was not really anything about people. 
in it. It was all, he was all very physical. Mm -hmm. So um, humans didn't seem to be super considered in the process. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, sustainable society, people would be connected yeah. and important. And he mentioned just one of um, that list that Elder Christopherson started going through, but one of uh, zero poverty. And I think, man, if we had a sustainable societies, that heart and soul, that would go away. Like that's yeah. that's the vision of one heart, one mind, one people. Is that no one's no one's left out, no one's yeah. not taken care of. Yeah, excellent points. Now I have to say, I couldn't help but see a particular word show up a lot of times in the talk, and the word was flourish. Uh, what does that word mean to you when you think of flourish, Lindy? <laughs> I think of my garden. I think of um, last year. I I learned that you could put ashes in your garden and that would help it to grow. But I didn't look at the timing of putting your ashes. And so I dumped all my ashes into my garden and we tilled them all in and then we planted things. And on that side of my land, nothing grew. And on the side where I didn't have my ashes because I didn't have enough for that whole part, it flourished. So uh -huh. I think of my garden. I think of like a garden that grows where you you plant it and you, you water, you take care of it and you you get results from it. You get the blessings that you were hoping for coming from, you get the good food to eat. I think flourishing is having having what you're hoping comes from all the hard work you put into whatever yeah. whatever you're putting in it to. Nice. Lisa? Yeah, um, I think on a spiritual sense, one of the things that, that I thought about was what President Nelson has continued to talk about revelation with us and how when we do put effort and we put action in the process, then that grows within us, and we can we can have those blessings that come from revelation. And in a in a, a group that's flourishing, they're doing that together, and they and they want that. And um, you know, I think I, I think that uh, we can see that in the church in spots too. We can see that flourishing, that growing together. You know, when a ward is really intact together and they're they're tight knit and they they love each other and they care about each other, then you see flourishing just like a garden. It's it's growing and it's and it's alive and it has it has progress, and so that to me is flourishing. Uh, I like how you you both have painted a picture of what it looks like. Uh, sometimes when we come to church or participate in things. If we don't really have a picture of what it's supposed to look like, uh, then we just start getting stuck in just the, the, the little details of what we think is right or what we how things should be. But if we can picture a flourishing society, and uh, it gives me more hope to think that way. I agree. Um, I I noticed this. I noticed that there was that these two societies he talks about, the city of Enoch and the Nephites right after Christ had come to the American continent, they are both societies of flourishing societies, but only found in Latter-day Scripture. Uh, what do you think that has to tell us about, um, about the, uh, the ongoing restoration? I think flourishing is connected to spirituality. Um, I think you can't have just physical in order to have that happen. Um, I think um, often like when we look at, um, you know, Christ talked about having no, no poor, well, in the, in the in fourth Nephi where it says that there was no poor among them, um, they weren't just physically taken care of. Their spiritual needs were taken care of. And President Kimball actually, um, he was talking about visiting teaching and he said, we go to do that so that we can trade rags for riches. 
um, to put robes on people and give them these great gifts. And, and so when we connect physical and spiritual together, uh, we get to see that, that great process. And I think of our today we talk about the, the restoration. Um, we're literally preparing for the second coming, right? And that's we know that when um, before it comes, it's going to be it's going to be rough. But we know that once he once he does come, and he establishes that Zion society, and that, that it will be here. And so I think it's I think it's important, like kind of how you're saying painting a picture. The scriptures give us examples, plenty of those who didn't flourish, plenty of those who, who tried, and there are many good people with, throughout generations who, who have tried, but were, um, it just it didn't take like it did in the city of Enoch and with the, with the Nephites. Um, but I think it's painting that picture for us. So we have that ideal to reach for that, you know, you, you can do this. This is something that has happened before, and I'm not, ex- he's not expecting something unrealistic from us, but helping us to capture a vision of something that we, we can create and we can um, work towards as families, as a whole community, because those were communities. So that wasn't just a family that flourished. That was obviously entire communities. But it seems so hard. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems so hard. So what, what would be some of the things that, that we learned about in the talk that, that would help us flourish? Help us uh, get closer to this one heart, one mind, this this Zion type community, this sustainable society. Just off the top, you had what are some things that we could focus on? I think meeting meeting each other's needs. I think everybody has core needs. They need to be loved. They need to be respected. They need to be treated with um, care, and and that really comes from those two great commandments: living. Um, loving Heavenly Father and, and Jesus, and also loving our fellow man. And to me, that was one of the things that they really developed. They they really loved the Savior. They loved what they were taught. And so it became easier to love other people, even though sometimes maybe they didn't meet each other's expectations well, or there were things going on that they had to resolve. Their hearts were always let's let's fix this let's let's unite together and let's let's make it better and to me that that really is valuable. Great, great. There is a um, quote that kind of those stories lead lead up. So I'm going to um, take a moment just to let's just listen to to Elder Christofferson in this moment here. Reflecting on this and other examples of once flourishing societies that later foundered, I think it's safe to say that when people turn from a sense of accountability to God and begin to trust instead in the arm of flesh, disaster lurks. Trusting in the arm of flesh is to ignore the divine author of human rights and human dignity and to give highest priority to riches power, and the praise of the world, while often mocking and persecuting those who follow a different standard. Meanwhile, those in sustainable societies are seeking, as King Benjamin said, to grow in the knowledge of the glory of Him that created them, or in the knowledge of that which is just and true. 
What uh, what do you think of some of uh, Lindy when we read that section or, or hear that section about um, flourishing societies that later foundered? When he talks about trusting, I said, in the arm of the flesh, disaster lurks. What does that look like to you? Not so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, um, I think disaster lurks. It might not be right away, and it might not be in that generation, but it's going to come, right? Like it lurks, it's, it's coming, it will come eventually. And I think when you, um, he said to trusting in the arm of the flesh, it, when you forget the power of our creator, when you start to minimalize that and put people above him, disaster is going, going to look because you, lo- you lose that vision. When you have a vision of God being, um, we might have different understanding of him throughout our community, but when you have an ideal of him being the creator of the earth and the creator of your body and your soul, that alone will help raise raise your, your vision, right? And when you forget those things and you trust in flesh, it's going to lurk because we're, we're not perfect. I, I can't look at a person, and if that's my, that, if that's my only um, vision of who I can be, it might be a wonderful person. But what happens to the next generation if that deteriorates a little bit, and the next generation deteriorates a little bit more? It just will never. It will never be the vision of who you can be if you choose to love God and to follow Him. Um, yeah, that disaster it will lurk. It will. It will come eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he talks about trusting in the arm of the flesh means to ignore the divine author of human rights and human dignity, and to give highest priority to riches, power, and the praise of the world. Do you see that around us? Very much, very much so. I think um, one of the things that I've I've read President Benson's talk on pride over and over again, just to have a better comprehension of it, but he describes pride as competition. And I think a lot of times when we elevate ourselves up above other people, um, the exact opposite of what happens with charity happens. Um, We actually put um, hatred between us and God and our fellow man. So it's the opposite of those commandments. And so when we trust the arm of the flesh over the Lord, um, we're always going to be in competition with people. We're always going to want to, to, to be better, have more, do more, and with a, with a heart that doesn't want to give, that doesn't want to help. And so um, I think that's what we saw in, in the people when they started to fail um, in their societies. Um, those values, those core things that they knew to be right, disappeared. They, they, they didn't feel those anymore. And it was because they had stopped living those two commandments. They, they didn't love him anymore. They loved their riches and they loved their power. And so then they couldn't give to others any longer. And so that when, when we rely on the flesh, that, that really changes what our view, what our outlook is. And we, we tend to um, only view ourselves as important. Yeah, yeah, so true. Can I say something? I, I like at least the whole elevating thing. Whether you're elevating yourself above somebody or below somebody, it, it's not right, right? It's yes. Gonna, it's going to lead. It's not going to lead to anything good. No, I agree with you. At one point, he says, "Nevertheless, when secularization separates personal and civic virtue from a sense of accountability to God, it cuts the plant from its roots." What does that mean? You don't ever want to do that to your plants. Oh, yeah. so your your flourishing garden <laughs> yeah. foundered. Yeah, it's gonna die <laughs> because <laughs> you're cutting the roots 
the plant from its roots? Um, actually, I heard in a Relief Society meeting um, about huckleberry plants, and it's it's a thing that has stayed with me a little bit. But um, if you if you take a huckleberry plant out of a grove of huckleberries, um, they don't like to not be together. They need to nourish each other. But if you try to pull one up by the roots, you actually pull the whole grove. And to me, that's really interesting how you can have one group actually start to snowball and it can start to take others with them. And so um, it's really, um, when we get secularism in there and we, we forget that connection to our Heavenly Father who gives the life to the root, mm-hmm. um, we, we lose we lose each other, we lose him, and it's, you know, our society changes <laughs> pretty drastically. Yeah, he had one part where he said, When one has no higher God than himself and seeks no greater good than satisfying his own appetites and preferences, the effects will be manifest in due course. So what if, what if, what if we paint a vision of what that looks like? What's the effects? What does due course look like? We've talked about... Um, flourishing and try to build a view of what that looks like and he mentions the word foundering uh, and in in this case he says uh, when man seeks no greater good than satisfying his own appetites and preferences the effects will be manifest in due course what does that look like the first word comes to mind is is selfishness whether it's in an individual relationship or a family, or a neighborhood community. You just—it's just selfishness, where it's—it turns to all about me and my needs and my my wants, and um, then those around you turn to that too, right? It just kind of the snowball effect. I, I like that whole idea of the whole huckleberry one coming out. Like it just kind of it snowballs, just like love does. That and the flourishing happens, the dying happens too. If one of my sorry, gonna plants again, but. If one of my tomatoes gets infected with some kind of disease, most likely my other ones are going to, that's going to happen to them too. Yeah. It's easier for it to happen for sure. Absolutely. And we can see that effect in, in families. Um, I think that when, you know, if, if uh, we, we, we try so hard to keep families together and yet we see in our society the destructiveness of what's happening with um, just, you know, the lack of, fathers in the home sometimes, or um, the, the divorce, and, and so many other things that are just um, breaking us apart. And those really do have great effects long-term on society um, in all areas, including our personal, our personal growth process. And so, yeah, being able to strengthen on the other side of it is so so important. But yeah, if the whole of society changes their viewpoint on that, then uh, society can truly break down. Yeah, yeah. He talks about the institutions of family and religion and how they're crucial for endowing both individuals and communities with the virtues that sustain an enduring society. So he's going here to say, really this pulling away from religion, pulling away from um the family, just they're not. We're not going to have a sustainable society, right? If we if we pull away from 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 God and put our arm, put the trust in our own selves, then uh, he's trying to make it very clear here that we lose the virtues that come from family and religion. He says these virtues, rooted in Scripture, 
include integrity, responsibility and accountability, compassion, marriage and fidelity in marriage, respect for others and the property of others, service, and the necessity and dignity of work, among others. What comes to your mind when, we, when you hear some of those virtues that he mentions? The proclamation of the world and the family. Um, I, I am currently going to school and studying marriage and family studies. And that is a document we study a lot. And I've come to appreciate those values. Those values are in, in that document. And they are core values, a core value system. They really do teach us how to um, connect to people, how to um, keep, keep a family together. And if we exercise those, those things, parents teach their children faith, um, they're willing to repent, they're willing to forgive, uh, they're compassionate, they're patient. Um, those those um, are lasting in our children's lives. Those really do help our children to grow to be people that will do the same. And keeping that as a as a um, as a as a standard in our families, helping um, helping them to see the the connection that that makes um, is pretty remarkable. Um, and that that really you you saw that in the in how the people of uh, Fourth Nephi and the people of Enoch how they really did operate. It was under those values, and they kept that consistent through their communities. Um, it, was, it went from an individual to a family to a community. So as we develop those for ourselves and then we can give those to our families, then it can, it can spread into a community. So what, what's happening in our world today? Because he does make mention there are people who, who have values, obviously. There's, there's great people who, who don't think we should kill one another and think that we should be kind. But so what's the, what's the point he's making here when there are other values that are lost and, and not turning to God? Is that what you're gathering mm-hmm. that he's saying from this? That, we, that you can still believe in a lot of these things, but holding on to, to God and trusting in him is going to keep us, uh, our society sustainable. Um, what what thoughts did you have on that, Lindy? Yeah, because when you have when you have him in there, you the the values don't change. But when you take him out, the values can they can change because then you're you're, you're back to that whole thing trusting the arm of the flesh. Where even though it might be still be a, a good value that you're believing in and trusting, it might not be the ideal the best you can have right because there is there is a best there is a best of what you can have when you keep the commandments and that can change and it can it can shift even if it is a good thing it might not be still the god-given greatest thing yeah and that god-given value is to put others before yourself i mean right fundamentally right the, the two great commandments love god and love your neighbor which it seems like we've shifted values in society where it's okay love me then i'll think about loving my neighbor if i've got time if it works if it works out for me yeah. right a very very different way of and you can see how that all of a sudden starts to tip society in another direction when you're not looking at everybody else always looking in on yourself i think the other piece of it is um our love for god and our love for our fellow man are motivators 
it motivates our action, how, how we're going to respond to people. And so when that motivation is based in what he, he wants and he desires for us to do, then um, our love for others comes fairly naturally. Um, but when we don't have that, sometimes that's a little unnatural to people. It's, you know, how do I do this? And, um, and I, I really thought about that. You know, what's my motivation to care for somebody else? Why do I do it? I mean, is it so that I look good to other people? Or is it because I love people because God placed that within me and helped me to understand why I should do that? And so as I love him and that becomes a driving motivation, then I can keep that value system because it is my motivator. Um, and I think a lot of people who don't have that, that's possibly part of it, is that they just, they, they don't know what their motivation and drive for it is. And, and the Lord really does place that in us and helps us to, to see it. You know, you, you brought up a point there about, I mean, it's possible that a person says, you know what, I really struggle going outside myself and, and loving other people. Um, then there comes that part that he talks about, especially his little next section about this word called duty right? If you really focus hard on those commandments, it becomes somewhat of a duty to say, you know, I'm going to focus on other people's needs. Even though I may not feel like it's a natural thing for me, my love for God tells me it's something that I should continue to pursue. Because just holding to that value, that duty to God and duty to his commandment, it seems to me, even if it's not a natural thing, it's still something that helps hold society in a sustainable format. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. He, he goes on to talk about, uh, one of the interesting parts of the talk is where he quotes um, Frederick Baker, whose father had turned 100 years old, and Frederick Baker's a, a writer uh, and wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal about his father. While we may all want to know the secret to a long life, I often feel we'd be better off devoting more time to figuring out what makes a good life, whatever span we're allotted. Uh, that, that's what he, this Frederick Baker says about having his father turn 100, saying it's really more about the good life. I, I found myself in growing older. Uh, they say that uh, I now I'm in the back nine of life, right? <laughs> so, so every hole is different. The, the front nine, it was about playing aggressively and trying to, trying to win. Now, now I'm in the back now. It's like, okay, I'm not sure how many holes I have left today, but, <laughs> but I really want to have fun, you know, the rest, of the, the rest of it for me. I want to feel good about it when I leave. I don't want to be upset when I'm done playing golf today. So for me, life is like the back nine, and the holes are, you know, getting less and less. But, and it's more how do I find the good in life. It's not how do I accomplish things anymore. It's like how do I have a good day. That's what I'm experiencing right now in my life. And... Uh, a good meaning. I feel good with God. I feel good with family. I feel good about, I feel goodness, right? Uh, I kind of, that's one of the thoughts that came to my mind as I, as I heard him read about that, that man. Yeah, I thought, I thought a few of those things too. I, um, I became a grandma about 18 months ago, Yay. and I love that. It's the, it's the best, but I think one of the well, things Well, you got to tell everybody, a grandma to a baby boy, To a baby, baby girl. girl named Hazel. Awesome. She's adorable. <laughs> and um, what I have noticed is I felt a lot of joy as a mom. I loved I loved my children, but in this season, I just, I look at her and her potential, and because I'm more of the observer and not the hands-on parent, um, when I'm with her, it is 100% joy. And I 
I love this part of my life. I, you know, I, I told my husband, I really loved having children, but this being a grandma thing is pretty great. And I think exactly what you're saying is every season of your life, if you can find those beautiful things that happen to us and embrace it and love it and, and just hold on to it because Heavenly Father is going to teach us all the way through and then we get to give it to other people. And that's a pretty spectacular thing. That we, you know, if, if we'll let him, he, he can invite us to help other people. And so, you know, now when I'm with her, I, you know, often will tell her, you're so important and you're so valuable. And, um, and I know I can, I can make that difference for her. And, you know, um, when you have four kids in your house, it's a different story because you're <laughs> trying to do that for four people. But I can take her individually and do that. And that's, that's pretty remarkable. I love that you said it, if you let him. I think I think that's key to, to all of this is letting letting God in your life. If if you haven't, learning how to try to trust him, learning to just putting that little bit of faith in that yes, there is an ideal and he is there. And I can start uh, President Stuckey in the last podcast before um or conferences, he said invited everyone to just start with praying. Start with that. Develop that relationship with God and everything else will grow from it. Trust that that something good will, will come from it and find that root so you could experience those those beauties of the back nine or being a grandma yeah. that it's it's all there with yeah. him yeah um one of the things i found interesting in this uh in this going back to this this quote that he gives of frederick baker's uh, essay as he um, talks about his father he says i've been a fortunate man blessed by a good education my own wonderful family some worldly success that I didn't deserve. But however proud and grateful I feel, it's eclipsed by the pride and gratitude I have for a man who, without fuss or drama, without the expectation of reward or even acknowledgement, has got on for a century now with the simple duties, obligations, and ultimately joys of living a virtuous life. And it's fascinating. If if our society doesn't recognize duties, obligations, and seeking joys in a virtuous life, then we start to see things fall away. Um, and w- one of the things that he talked about was, and I think that uh, it, it was an interesting part. Of it. When he talks about his example of society in decay, he says, part of it is because of individual consent being the only constraint on sexual activity and the bitter fruits of the ongoing sexual revolution. Let, let's take a moment to talk about that because that, that takes away the, that's really an assault on virtuous life. It, it's an assault on simple duties and obligations to one person, right, and, and children. Um, and that's fascinating how he points that one thing out, saying that individual consent now that's the new value right of the world and it's far straying from what god would have us say individual consent is the only constraint on sexual activity um uh, what, what do you think of some of those ideas are lindy i think it takes it back to back to that comment of um what does a society look like that doesn't flourish or that what did you call floundering foundering yeah foundering that you um that selfishness. It's all about me, the individual. It's not about the relationship or the family. It's more about the, the needs of the individual. And so you you lose that, you lose the great love 
you lose the great love that comes from sacrifice, that comes from being able to um, have duty override a great, um, what's the word, desire for something, but coming back to duty and um, obligation to to your family. And I think um, I think that many who uh, get engaged in in those for a moment have um, what they consider a joyful experience, <laughs> but you know the consequences that come with that, the difficulty for um, for for children, for you know it, it's it really is a, something that requires us to think ahead. You know how is how is this consequence eventually going to work out? And part of our, our value system has to be that eventually, you know, where is this going to go and where is it going to take me? And, um, yeah, that simple, it's just, it is simple consent anymore um, in doing that. And um, so it is important that we consider, you know, what, what will we do to our life, but also what we'll do to other people's lives. There's, there's connection to that. Yeah, the effects of changing that value, right? a value of, of marriage and fidelity in marriage to just whatever I want to do, as long as it's, long as I've consented, then, then that value is okay. So protect that. You know, that's, that's what it's defaulted to. But with that comes so much of the, and he mentions that, the, the you know, the fatherless children and the, and the, and the, 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 it just helps increase poverty and those sorts of things in our society. And thank goodness for, for the ability to, to repent and make amends and the fact that we, we we still love our children no matter what situation comes up but we also see that it's hard for society to be to be sustainable when we lose that particular value it's yeah. true so what as we get close to wrapping up here what are your thoughts on this part of his talk he says if enough of us and enough of our neighbors strive to make our decisions and guide our lives by the truth of God, the moral virtues needed in every society will abound. I think there was great power in reading. I, I read Fourth Nephi over and over again in the last week, just thinking about what those those remarkable people were able to do. That um, that change that happened to all of them. Um, so as we are able to be lights. Um, like the Savior said in the uh, Beatitudes, to be the salt of the earth, to, to be a light to others, um, to show people the way to love them through processes, um, care for them, our, our neighbors around us who, who need help and, and need to be lifted up if we're willing to go be those um, emissaries that carry his light. Uh, we can help bear that light to them too and help them to find um, connection to that value system and join us. And that's that's pretty remarkable. And it just, it's being an example. We just have to really, really generate that love of the Savior to them um, through true service, through through true caring. And that that does change people. It does help them to feel feel connected. I feel like our community is like that. I when I when I hear that, I think that that's Nampa. Like we can do this. We we can Nampa can fight the tide of of junk that's coming around because there are enough people here in all different faiths and all different walks of life that that have those ideals. And so I, to me, for our community, it's completely hopeful. 
completely hopeful. Yeah. So we want uh, we want our town to be a sustainable society. We're gonna go with Enoch. Let's yes. do the Enoch thing. That <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful to talk about it. This is a talk. I I have to be honest. I listened to it probably seven or eight times uh, yeah. in preparing for this podcast, and still feel like there's just a depth to it that we it's hard for us to express. Uh, it's it's such a big vision. Mm-hmm. It it seems it feels overwhelming that it could ever be done, but thank goodness we have each other to practice these virtues on, and thank goodness we have God to turn to to teach us how to learn these virtues and apply them, and that we have modern day prophets and apostles to remind us of these things. Well, any parting thoughts? I definitely want to join what he talked about. I think it's just um, a lot of times I think we get caught up in the big world picture. And um, often I have said to my children, um, our Heavenly Father wants us to have um, opportunity to be over a world. And my world is for people who I love and care about. Those are my children and a husband who I love. And so if I can make a difference in that world, then I can expand that world. And so I think that's really what he was talking about. We have to do it individually, and then we do it as a family, and then we take that out to the community. Um, But a lot of times if our vision gets too big, we think we have to conquer all of it. But if we'll just do it with ourselves, and then we'll do it with our families, then we can be a huge effect to the world. Absolutely. Thank you. The media's wrong. They're they're wrong. It's Correct. just I, I I look at I look at the people around and who I'm with and the people in different states that I know too. And I just I feel like you too. I feel like it's more more doable than what what you will see portrayed in every facet of media. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Lisa Sowards. Thank you, Lindy Bowers. Bowers. <laughs> I'm gonna mess up everybody's last Bowers. name. I I know better. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah thanks all for listening tonight and uh hope you enjoy the uh reading elder christopherson's talk again thank you thank you to katie keller lindy bauer casey maddox rachel bauer katie christensen john freeman don ricker jesus gomez rich petrie and dj holiday thank you for listening to one heart one mind We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you.